Thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. And welcome to this edition of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we're going to be discussing spiritual friendship. Right. We are um, at the beginning part of the book study that we started on the last episode with um, Friendship and the Fathers, how the early church evangelized. That that word is tough to say sometimes. Anyway, by Mike Aquilina. Mm -hmm. So we uh, just did the introduction and there was a lot to chew on in the introduction. And now the first chapter is really short, um, which is interesting because uh, he he focuses in the first chapter um, on Irenaeus, who is a beautiful, beautiful saint of the church and of uh, Bishop of Lyon in uh, late AD 100s. So this is an early, early church father who, oh man, just his writings. I have read some of um, the the main work that he is known for that is actually quoted um, in this particular chapter against heresies and just a brilliant mind. And, and when you read these sort of things, <laughs> the thing that comes to mind for me anyway, most clearly is, wow, things really don't change much. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, you know? isn't it? It is amazing. You know, the more they change, the more they stay the same. And so a lot of this uh, chapter doesn't actually talk so much about any particular friendships. It doesn't talk about uh, Irenaeus himself and his relationships, but mainly focuses on how Irenaeus uh, was dealing with the reality of the Gnostics in the early church. Okay, now, now define Gnostics for us, because this is, can be such a—I mean, I've heard the word all my life, and, and I could not say one definition other than— it's an umbrella term for heresies. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is there isn't one definition of like, this is what Gnostics believe. It, it's the concept that there are certain people who have some elevated knowledge that is, you know, distinct and they, they, they can reach it through reason and, and things, but, but that it doesn't have to conform in any way necessarily to the... Yeah, you know, the so, gospel that we know that's handed down from the church. So, so this this even is more of a can of worms. This is just right off of the dictionary off my phone that it is says Gnostic is relating to knowledge, especially esoteric mystical knowledge. Mm, right. Esoteric means hidden. So which is also another word for occult. Right. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's so just such a, a big way, word. It, yeah, it's it's kind of like it's really sort of a spiritual elitism in the sense that the the people would be like, well, we've figured out some new understanding and we have insight that goes beyond what, you know, the lower people have. So you need to like, maybe you can achieve this great insight that we have, yeah. but we don't have to conform to any hierarchy or anything because we're all above that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right? I know people like that. Oh, it's pretty common it nowadays. It's pretty common. It yeah. really, really is. And, and, and honestly, like when you don't have a unifying structure of a visible church, the way the Catholic church has, and you don't have any, anything that, like apostolic succession that the Catholic church has that says, 
we have the teachings from Jesus Christ himself that have been handed down through the generations that have been affirmed by the Holy Spirit uh, through the apostles and then been maintained and preserved within the church. If you don't have that, you're going to be very, very susceptible to Gnosticism because it is a fallen human nature of pride, basically, that says, I can get it all figured out myself. And then when you think you've got it all figured out, you usually try to bring people along with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so just as it says um, that, you know, the problem was, is that you constantly have these Christians that were calling themselves Christians, but they didn't believe the things that Jesus taught. Very dangerous. Right. And so then they have sect after sect after sect, breaking apart, breaking apart, because you know, you get one Gnostic group that disagrees in one area, but then within that group, they start disagreeing with each other. And, and what does that sound like, right? That sounds like the splintering of Christianity that happens when you venture outside of the structure of the Catholic Church and apostolic succession. Mm-hmm. But I think it really is super relevant to our t- day and time because in, in this day and time, in Irenaeus's day, Christianity was so early, right? And so there wasn't some sense of this is Christianity established, right? right. In the sense that that everybody knew it. It was it was visible, it was known. No, it was they were still establishing it. They were point. still establishing yeah. it. In the hundreds, yeah. there was no Bible. Let's just think about that for a moment. <laughs> yeah. There was no Bible as we know it. There were the Jewish scriptures, you know, the law and the prophets that were brought in through, you know, the roots of the Jewish faith that was the seed of Christianity. And then, you know, in the hundreds, you've already got, you know, writings from Paul and you've got writings from Peter and John and you've got the gospels, but they haven't actually been compiled as a canon which doesn't happen until the 300s. Right. And so you can see how it'd be very easy if you didn't happen to actually, you know, have one of the apostles and one of the apostles, you know, sort of spiritual descendants in your backyard, you're getting word of mouth and you know how it goes, like the grapevine game in a way. You know, I heard that the Christians believe this and no, I heard this. And so it's not surprising that there would be a lot of, confusion at times about what is the true teachings of Jesus Christ. And that's why the apostolic succession is so important because, you know, John learned from Jesus and John taught, you know, this guy and then this guy taught this guy and, you know, down through and it's passed on in a very structured way and and affirmed by the church. So as Irenaeus is trying to kind of gather together all these different false teachings that are, that are going about Um, in this day, we have to deal with the same thing because the reality is there was a time when Christianity was much more uniform in its belief. So even after the Protestant reformation, where we splintered in some of the beliefs, the core of what it was to be a Christian, a Trinitarian belief in God, you know, moral structures that were biblical were universally accepted, but no longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, since what? I would say probably since since the 60s, 
really. Maybe right. even earlier. That sexual revolution, the sexual that revolution. tried to undo all sense of sexual morality. Yeah. yeah, these sort of things. A lot of the stuff that was just taken for granted that Christians believed, you can't take for granted anymore. And so when you're trying to develop relationships and you're trying to base it on your, your faith, your Christianity, you find yourself in a situation where you can't even necessarily trust that a Catholic believes what you believe. And that's challenging. Right. So how do you, like, how has that impacted you when you've kind of navigated the landscape of interacting with people, potentially forming relationships with Christians who they're Christians. I mean, they love the Lord, but they've come to believe some of the heresies of our day. Well, if they do, I don't know that it's a heresy. Like if they're usually it's much more simple than that. And my, my interactions are just about the love of Jesus Christ and we are one body. Uh, so I, if they believe in heresies, I don't know about it basically. No, but what if you have a Christian friend who is, you know, we just recently celebrated the overturning of Roe versus Wade. What if you have a Christian friend who is comes to you and, you know, says, Oh my gosh, I can't believe the Supreme court did it. What a travesty that they would overturn Mm -hmm. Roe versus Wade. And you're looking at them like wide eyed being thinking, I thought you were a Christian. How is a Christian not happy about that? Like, how do you function in that reality? Uh, Approach it with as much love as possible and tell them, exactly where I come from, that that is the killing of human life. And we celebrate all life from conception to natural death and just try and love them where they are. Mm -hmm. And yet, how do you feel that you can form a deep, intimate relationship knowing that if you want a spiritual friendship, you would hope to understand that your Christianity lined up. Yeah. That's, that's a really hard one. I mean, the first thing I'm thinking is we'd probably shy away more of the things that divide us and start to concentrate more on those things that unite us in our, Mm. in our beliefs and our thoughts instead of what's divide us. Right. Um, And I've all, I've always really, the Lord's really put on me a long, since like I come from a family that doesn't have a lot of faith in it. Um, he's convicted me so much that to evangelize that way is to love the Lord myself as as deeply and profoundly as I personally can and to live in such a way that it's obvious. And so that's really what I strive to do um, within my family and just within my circles, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in the first in the introduction, um, the author was talking about how. You know, Cicero, he defined uh, friendship where you you had to like agree on everything. And he and the author was kind of rejecting that idea and saying, well, you're not going to have friendships that, you know, brought people bring people into the faith that evangelize if you only have friends with people who believe exactly with what you believe. And so even though I'm kind of challenging you, so how do you function within that reality? My the point of the author and I think the point that I think is an appropriate one is we can't be afraid of entering into relationship with people and because they have differences of opinion and we can't, you know, say, well, if you believe this, you're not a Christian, like because there's so much of the culture that has warped our understanding of things. And if this person has never really been shared 
the the fact that this is what the Bible says. This is what's consistent with Christ's heart. This is, you know, and had it laid out to them in a way that they could understand. Or if they've got some stuff within themselves that prevents them from be, feeling like they can embrace the truth of the gospel. Well, how are they going to know if nobody tells them? And so it takes a little bit of um, patience. We talked a yeah. couple episodes ago, we were doing episodes on patience, patience with them, with where they're at. And also a willingness to be bold about your own beliefs and say, you know, well, I I really just disagree with you on that. Can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes there's a time where we need to tread lightly, you know, until we've developed some kind of trust and, and relationship. But then there's times when we need to be bold and we need to just talk about it and really explore these different things. And, you know, you could even say something like, I actually have a really hard time on like for the abortion issue, for example, you know, you could say to the person, I really struggle to understand uh, how you as a Christian who believe the scripture is the inspired word of God can also hold that abortion is, is something that should be legal considering how many times the Bible talks about, you know, the fact things like the, that we are created you know, the Lord created us in our mother's womb and, and he knew us before we even, you know, came into the world and how, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, filled John the Baptist and, and Jesus himself was in the womb of Mary, fully God and fully man in her womb from, from before he was even born, but at the moment of his conception. Can, you know, can you please explain to me how you reconcile those two things? And then you can have a conversation, yeah. you know, and they may not come to believe what you believe, but at least you can explain why you believe what you believe and bring those ideas into their, into their understanding. Right. And then you can also come to understand where they're coming from. So say, for example, sometimes you have a situation well, where somebody maybe felt like, well, you know, I had a friend who was raped and got pregnant and it was, you know, she was basically like losing her mind mentally. And if she hadn't had that abortion, I feel like she would have, um, you know, basically killed herself. And so I can't, I can't imagine it being charitable to make somebody stay in that situation. Okay. Now we've got something we can talk about. Yeah. Right. Right. About Mm -hmm. how do you love somebody in a tragic circumstance? How can you, bring Christ to something that seems so hopeless that you would want to use this method and can, you know, violence solve a problem of violence, right? Those are conversations then you can have at a deeper level, but Mm -hmm. unless you start having the conversation, you can never get at it. Right. Right. Yeah. I can see that coming up in my, in my work atmosphere too. That's going to come up. People be asking and talking about it somewhat, which, you know, to give a little background, I've been there for, I worked with most of those people for uh, three to five years, and you've we've already invested, which I think is a very good point to talk about too, Megan. That we've already I've already invested time and love into many of these people by getting to know them and who they are and what their backgrounds are, and they know that I genuinely care for them. I have one in particular who we hardly agree on anything, but we really do like each other, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I'm sure this is going to probably come up because we've definitely um, ended. Um, conversations on pornography of, well, we'll just agree to disagree kind of thing. Right. You know? I think you make a hugely important point when you say 
They know I really do care about them. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest mistakes I think that often can happen for people who are very ordered towards apologetics and like to, you know, really argue the things of the faith and proclaim the things of, of the faith. They're doing it because they want to win an argument, not out of a true love for the other person. Right. They haven't developed the relationship where the person does trust that they actually care about them. And I think we do need to tread lightly with quote unquote apologetics when we haven't made that clear to a person that we actually care about who they are. Right. I like to I like to say it something like, um, can you open that door? Is that door of apologetics? Is that ready to be opened? Um, is that appropriate in this friendship? You know, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like a bulldozer if you just try to go rush right in with your thoughts and your um, right. your views when you haven't invested again, really invested in knowing that person and and who they are as a person and, and letting them know how loved they are just the way they are mm-hmm. right? before opening that apologetic door. And oftentimes I say, let them open the door, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and sometimes like circumstances in our lives can, you know, let those questions come up or, you know, why are you, why did you make that decision? Or why do you seem to still have peace in this situation? And, and then, you know, you they when they've asked the question, when they've opened the door, they're going to tend to be more open to hearing the response because you haven't forced it on them. They've, mm-hmm. they've just, you know, observed something and, and want to learn a little more about where that's coming from within you. So... Yeah. What do you, anything else on this? He does go back to the concept that we were talking to before about how Christ um, calls us, no longer calls us servants, but calls us friends. And what a big deal that is um, that uh, God calls us to be friends and how beautiful that is. It's actually a little mind blowing if you really just sit on it for a second that the, the creator of heaven and earth calls us friends. Yeah, it really is. And the fact that he wants to have an intimacy of relationship with us. And he and I think that's another important thing to come back to again is, you know, we talk about we talked about the first episode how really the the first step to fostering spiritual friendship is getting your relationship with the Lord in a good place. And I, you know, when I talk about spiritual friendship, I often um will encourage people to examine their friendship with their relationship with Christ and ask the the honest question, do I treat Christ as a friend? And so what does that mean? So true. I I want to pause on that just for a second, Megan, because that is such a good point of reflection for our listeners. Do you call Christ a friend and why or how do you show that? Right. Yeah. You know, cause most of us, you know, if we have a really good friend, you know, like a bestie that we really enjoy spending time with, we, we delight in spending time with that person. We will look for opportunities to spend time with that person. We'll look forward to the time yes. we're going to spend that person. And if we find ourselves in a, in a period of, of separation where we don't get to see that person for a while, we'll feel the pain of that. Right. So true. (laughs) And so then, 
if we're not feeling that about the Lord, if we're not delighting in time spent with him, if we're not seeking opportunities to spend time with him, if we're not feeling the pain of absence of him, uh, when we don't get an opportunity to really come into his presence, maybe in the Eucharist or spend some really lovely time in prayer, you know, if we're not longing for that, then the one we have to ask our question, ourselves the question, am I really in a, a deep friendship with the Lord? Yeah. You know, why? And how can also the question would be, um, what if you had a friend who never, ever let you talk? Like every time you got together, they talked the whole time. Yes. <laughs> like, would you really? Everybody's known that person before. Right, yeah. And there are people like <laughs> yes, that, right? And sure. you tend to not just really want to seek that person out a lot, right? Well, are we there's doing... no conversation. Yeah, there's no reciprocity yeah. in the relationship. And so, you know, for, for our listeners who may struggle with the uh, the prayer silence, the just kind of sitting and, and being in his presence without talking, praying a, you know, formulate prayer, asking for stuff, whatever you're doing. Well, you're kind of like being the friend who doesn't let the other friend get a word in edgewise. That's me. That's kind of me. I I have to, I have to have some rote prayer to calm my very active mind. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very terribly distracted, like usually always. Mm -hmm. But if I do some rote prayer, but I, I have, it's layered. So I've got the rope prayer and then I have other prayers that come in on top of it. Mm. So the rope prayer calms my mind. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with, with rope prayers. They're beautiful. They're gifts of the church, but they can't be the only thing you have, you know, in your relationship with the Lord and your friendship with the Lord. And, and he does want to speak and he is very clear in scripture that he speaks in the silence. Yes. You know, and oh, that, so, that's one of the reasons I journal too, is that mm. that helps me. Okay. Yeah. See what he wants. Sometimes it's like a little. Some days are worse. It's like a little pen pal time with your friend Jesus. I love that. (laughs) Well, good. Well, I think you know this is kind of a short chapter, so we can probably wrap it up here. Any you know thoughts um, on Irenaeus? I just want to thank God for Irenaeus and Mm -hmm. for the the witness that he gave, um, the ways that he tried to you know elucidate the true teachings of Jesus and at such an early stage in the church and. Thanks to the church for being, you know, saving these things. You know, we, we have these because the church has compiled them and, and allowed us to continue to be edified by them. And that's one of the things I think we will be regularly coming back to as we examine some of these, you know, saints uh, in the fathers of the church in this book is how blessed we are in, in our our elders, our older brothers and sisters in the faith, our, our spiritual fathers and mothers, and uh, what a great, great um, gift that is as a Amen. Catholic. Our friends, our our great cloud of witnesses, That's our right. friends in heaven. Church triumphant. The church triumphant. Yeah. yeah. So. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you for joining us this time as we continue our little journey through the spiritual friendship book. And uh, we hope you're enjoying it so far. And again, um, if you have you know thoughts that you'd like us to discuss, you you just want to even if you just want to shout out uh, that you know what you like, what you don't like, uh, ways that you think we could improve, topics that we could do. Please um, feel free to contact us either um, on Facebook. It's uh, shoulder the number two shoulder podcast, or you can uh, email us at shoulder to shoulder at gmail.com. 
And if you've really enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you just to go ahead and share it with your friends. And until next time, let's stay united in prayer. God bless. God bless.